Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Today is part two of Essential Dog Training Equipment or Essential Equipment for Dog Training. And it's just going to be me today. So my name's Panos for the people that don't know. Hope everyone's, I uh, hope everyone enjoyed part one. Today we're going to be going through a few other essential parts of what we need for equipment. The first part was more the, the, how to control the dog, leads and collars and things like that. Today, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll name all of them that we're going to go through and then I'll elaborate. So, we're going through the clicker, the tug, the ball, the treat pouch, talking about the crate, X-Pen, enrichment toys and the muzzle. So, there, I've, I've, I was picking my brain thinking, how much equipment do I add into this? I'm trying to focus this on every single day dog owners as well as obviously the trainers out there as well. Talking about the clicker. Now, the clicker is an awesome tool. I'll go a little bit of background onto it, but the clicker, we can talk a whole 20 episodes talking about that. A clicker is a marker. It makes a sound like, oh, I should have one on me somewhere around here. I don't think I have it handy, so it doesn't matter, but it does make a, a specific sound every single time. We use it as a marker, so that way there, when we're going to reward the dog, we're going to, it predicts that the reward's coming. So, when in this, um, all of our episodes, we always talk about saying the word yes, and that's the marker that I generally use. I use a verbal marker for my clients, but I do, um, and I'm not against the clicker. I just don't train people to use a clicker because most people, most of my clients are, are going to forget the clicker, lose the clicker, forget to use the clicker, and then it's just inconsistent and there's no point. The point of it is to be consistent. So, giving that click to the dog predicts that it'll announces foods coming rather so we to so you want to load a clicker just like we load the marker yes listen to episode four is it about what is marker training if it's not four, my apologies but go back to that one and if you want to listen to a bit more about the details of it but using the clicker is a lot more specific it's non-emotional we'll make that sound every single time you click it whether you're frustrated with your dog, whether you're angry, whether you're happy, or whether you're just not in the mood to use your voice. So, we're saying the word yes, 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 and saying it inconsistently as a marker to the dog to know that food's coming or the, the reward is coming can pronounce to the dog that there's it's a different sound altogether. So, it's not creating an actual reflexive emotional response. So, when I use the word yes, I always use it in a particular way. Yes, yes. Yes, and it always sounds like that and I've trained myself to do it even if I'm frustrated with the dog for whatever reason or if I'm really, really excited, I don't want to go, yes. Um, so, that's really important. That's why the clicker is a really handy tool and it actually is my preferred tool if I was training a dog professionally or at a high level for something, I would use the clicker personally. Um, I don't with my dogs. Uh, on the other hand, even though I do use my dogs professionally, however, I'm not looking for the most intense precision and I don't and I and I feel that while while I'm at work it will just get in the way as well. So that's just my own reasons for it or for not using it. However, 
when I do plan for for the next, I go. We'll be playing around with it. I am probably going to do a little bit with Nookie as well, and just kind of play around and, and using that clicker. But if you're going to use a clicker, then use it consistently, so that way the other dog understands what it is. And on the other hand, you can still use a marker as a whistle, and a lot of trainers do use a whistle for certain commands or to use it as a marker to reward the dog. So again, it's consistent. It sounds the same, and it can project its sound very, very far. So that's. The best thing about the whistle as well is that it can reward at a very big distance. The tug is the next one on the list. And the tug in the way that I like to use the tug is to use it as a reward. So certainly your dog will play tug with a you know, the ropey tugs that you buy from, from the pet store, other tug toys, and, you know, a little bit of playing around with it and using it as enrichment is one way, but the way that I like to use a tug is to be very, very specific about when I give the marker. So what I do with Nookie is that I say, give the marker tug and she understands she comes to get the reward, which is in my hands and we play the game of tug. And the dog really desires doing it. So why waste it by getting him to do nothing for it? Let's get him to work for it. So using that tug is a means of doing that. It does it's the dogs that have a high, like a level of prey drive. And prey drive is all about the dog wanting to either chase and then bite something. So some dogs aren't into the tug, so don't force them to play tug. Or you can try all your hardest. <laughs> They're not going to play with you. However, and if you're going to play with a tug, it has, there's very specific ways. And we can go into a whole lot of depth just about talking about tug as well. And let's talk about the type of tug. So... I use a French linen bite tug that is designed for dogs that are like sport dogs and working dogs. So the reason why that's more superior than a tug that you buy just at the pet store is that like those ropey tugs are very hard on the dog. The dog doesn't find it very exciting to bite it because it's not giving the same sensation. Where with this French linen sort of soft tug, hundreds and hundreds of dogs have bitten it and there's not even a hole in it. And because of the way that it's made and, and the materials on the inside, and I do get them from like working working dog stores. So Ironswick, um, shout out to Jason. He sells them. I've, I've actually purchased some before from him to sell to clients to use in this specific way. So check that out, ironswick.com.au or is it just .com? Check it out. You'll find it. Ironswick Dog Quip. But if you look on their range, on their website, you see a whole, you're not going to see the tug toy that you buy at, at the pet store. So I use it. And when I have this tug, it is not just to be laying around for my dog to play with whenever he wants. The point of the tug is for me to engage and play the game with him. So I have it stored away. And then what I'll do, so when, so my dog, like Nookie does play tug and I do train with the tug, but let's just talk about um, a, an American staffy one and a half years old, full of energy and loves to play tug. So in, in those classic sort of scenarios when I'm when I'm helping clients with these sort of dogs is that we want to give them an outlet. We want to give them the chance to play this intense game while in training. So let's just say let's just say you use the clicker to reward the dog for tug. So every time you click the dog knows that he's playing tug. So you put your dog in the down, you walk away, you have the tug in like in your back pocket where you can't see it. And you click, the dog then goes, holy shit, you're about to reward me. He gets up and he runs towards you and you produce the tug. We play the game. It would be ideal if you can tell the dog to drop it or to out. And as soon as he lets go, you can either give another command, continue playing the game, whatever you like to do. But when the game's finished, after three to five minutes or so, we say finished or we give a cue to say that we're done and then we put the tug away. 
And that way there the dog then learns, oh, I do things to get the tug. And I think that's the best way f- to play tug. Now, look, of course, you can play tug just for walking in the backyard. The dog has a bit of a, to- has a toy in his mouth and he brings it to you and you play tug. Whatever, man, you can do whatever you like. But if we can harness some of that energy and put into training, it can really be beneficial. And these sort of using the tug and then the next one's the ball, when we're using these sort of rewards for our dogs, they are a very highly stimulating event. So throwing the ball and playing tug is very intense. So let's get our dogs to do passive behaviors, sit stays, down stays, going, um, you know, when we ask them to come like specific commands to get their specific reward in that sort of level. You create a lot of impulse control, good, strong bonding, and also you're fulfilling the dog biologically. The dog wants to do these things, give it to him. Um, and I think that's really important. Also about the tug, what else can I mention or something else that I want to say? If it comes back to me, it comes back to me. With the ball, again, just like the tug, the ball a ball isn't – so like Nookie, I'm going to use her as an example, even when we had Ace. Ace wasn't really into tug. Ace was my Kelpie lab. Rest in peace to him. He was an awesome dog. And But he loved the ball. Everything was for the ball. Every real Every training session I did with him – except for when I had to teach a specific position where I would use food, but we're using the ball for reward for him. And that was his primary reinforcer. So again, the ball isn't just left around the house. And I had this revelation. Obviously, I had people and trainers advise me, hey, these high-value reinforcers aren't to be just left around the house. And um, I just kind of ignored it. I thought it wasn't that significant. But one day I was watching TV, and, and I think I've mentioned this before, is the ball rolled under the couch and he stared. Yeah, I couldn't even see him, but I knew he was staring at the ball for more than 45 minutes, just full-on intensity while I'm watching a moving or whatever. And I thought it was the most annoying thing. So from that day onwards, years and years ago, I go, no more ball in the house. I produce the ball for you and we play the game. And that could be really important for safety as well as that, especially with tennis balls. If you leave them out, the dog starts to peel it apart. And then he starts – and like a nookie would um, swallow the little bits of rubber. I've seen in her poo from time to time if there, there was a ball left out and I've forgotten about it, especially when they start to wear and being out in the sun or whatever, they start to crack and split. So no balls left out for them to consume and to destroy. And they can have other things to destroy, but not the tennis ball. If that's a valuable thing, let's make it sacred. And then we – and I use that for training and I've mentioned that heaps and heaps of times of um, with, you know, using nookie for – for the examples of how I use the ball for, for her reward. So I tell her, and she knows, well, this is the thing. I don't want her to think, see me have the ball all the time for her to know that the ball is ready for, or a potential reinforcer. Like the other day, we're out in the front of my house doing a session and I told her to come and she came, told her to down. She stayed down for you know three minutes around the client's dog. And just out of nowhere, and I very rarely reward her out there, I gave her the mark a bang. And I dropped the ball in front of her and she thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. She, So my point is we want to give a command and that's what announces the ball may potentially come. I don't want – I prefer the dog not to see the ball and then think, oh, now we're training. I want the dog to know when – so if we're out in the park, I say come. She goes, that ball may produce. Now when she's out the front with clients and she holds that down stay, she may think that ball may come. And that's very, very important. So use your ball as a – training tool not just as a thing that your dog does just throw it and throw it and throw it because the dog will run 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 and you just just send him mental but also if it's so consistent running constantly sometimes hip issues can happen and things like that so make a little bit more um i'm not saying limit your ball throwing if your dog's healthy and 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 fit but 
don't make it a neurotic event, make it a structured event and you get more out of it. Your dog is truly fulfilled after it, that's for sure. A treat pouch, treat pouch is a, a 101. You need that thing in, in training, whether it is to hold your food or to hold your ball and things like that, but usually it's for food. And um, I gave this example yesterday to a client where one of my other clients refused to use the pouch and, and I told her, well, look, you don't have to have a pouch on you. That's completely up to you. But And then we went for a walk. So she had the dog in the left hand on the lead and she had food in her right hand because she was wearing tights or whatever and she couldn't put it. Now, she was adamant about how convenient it was to hold the food in her hand the whole time. I'm like, okay. And then she walked up to the door to go open it and then she used her chicken hand to open the door. So now there's like chicken dropping on the floor and there's chicken – you know, um, juice all over the all over the doorknob, and then and I just hold it like this isn't realistic. It's it's better to have your ego bruised by having a tree pouch than your ego bruised by your dog acting like a maniac and not focused on you. Wouldn't it be much better and feel more accomplished if your dog is listening to you? And if you need to use treats in the early stages of training, then have that pouch on you. The food's available. If food comes out of your pouch really easily, it stores the food, so good for hygiene. And yeah, if you are wearing tights or shorts with no pockets or whatever, then, and I don't like treats in pocket anyway. You've got to reach into your pocket finally. Your, your pockets become dirty, etc. So it's very important that having that pouch is essential. A, a little tip about the pouch is, have the pouch opposite to where you walk your dog. So if your dog's on your left-hand side, then have the tree pouch on the right-hand side. And that way there you're not crisscrossing over your body. Your dog doesn't see you as predictably grabbing food and just it's ergonomic. It just feels better. So if you walk your dog on the right, then have your tree pouch on your left. Um, what sort of tree pouch? Get one that if you bend over, the food doesn't fall out. The one that I use, snap lock, snaps open and closed. I've been trialing out another tree pouch as well. That's like rubber. It's called the trainer's pouch, you know. That's been okay as well. For when I'm at work, I need a big pouch. I use black dog tree pouches, but you know, I'm I'm there's um there's, not every pouch is perfect. I guess you know maybe if you do have a perfect pouch, let me know so I can start to trial it out. But um but I do like the snap open and close, and and that's why I've been using black dog forever. Because if I'm kneeling down dealing with a dog, I don't want another dog to shove their face into the pouch and eat the food. If I bend over, I don't want food falling out. Keeps a bit more fresh when I'm not using it. Things like that, and. You, if you're just a if you're just an everyday dog owner that needs to walk your dog up the street and has some treats, you can get one that clip on to the side of your pouch as well. Yeah, Easy Dog um, is a good one as well. Easy Dog, the um, there's a few different ones, but the smallest one it clips on, or you have the option of putting the belt on, and I think that can be really handy as well because not all the time do you want to have a full belt on, but something that clips on, share around with the family when you're doing training, whatever. Let's talk about the crate. We've done a crate training episode a couple of episodes ago. Check that out if you want to know more in depth about the crate. But we'll just talk about types of crates and, and the material. Um, use a metal crate. Very, very important for safety so the dog stays in the crate, especially if it's a bigger, more powerful breed. Um, and you can get metal dodgy ones. You can get 100 buck ones and it may not hold your dog in. They just bang it a few times and then they break the little dodgy welding spots or whatever. Get something real strong. And... Test it yourself. See if you like have it assembled and push on it and shake it around. And I'm not going to tell you brands because I'm not fully equipped on which brand specifically and depending on where you're listening to, but get one that's strong and sturdy. Don't get those material crates We, if you're just first training a puppy to be in the crate. They're just going to chew through it most likely. Um, it's collapsible. It's probably not as good for airflow where the metal one, it's fully open. It's always, it's just getting constant flow. 
and they can flat pack away when you're traveling or whatever if you want to put it away for the day um and you can get those transport crates as well transport crate is for when you're traveling or you need to put the dog when you're going to travel overseas or if you're going to be in the car um those ones are good too but i don't use those crates for when we're at home um just generally for airflow as well you want it to be comfortable but um but get a good hard strong plastic one for for travel or you can go next level and have one that's like you know proper crash proof and everything as well but just be mindful of when you're buying a crate to start crate training make sure it's the right size make sure it's strong enough and if your dog learns to get out of it we're screwed um you have to ignore my son in the background if you can hear him making any noises but um studio's at home today and he's inside because it was raining so it is raining so it is what it is hey and um He's a beautiful little boy and he's doing well. Um, an exercise pen is next on the list. And exercise pen, same thing. I prefer to get a metal crated one, a metal one rather than those material ones. Because again, dog can escape out of it. They're flimsy. Dogs just push it over and start, everything just goes everywhere. Get a nice, strong exercise pen. I got one um, recently um, to use and um, so strong, man. I can't even push it over. Um, and you can flat pack it away. So it's easy for storage. Um, strong enough, tall enough if you're going to have a, a dog that's going to grow. Like let's say if you're going to have a German Shepherd and then as he starts to grow, um, if you get a short one, he may hop over it. Where if it's a little bit taller, 1.3, that may be more suitable. If you've got a Cavoodle, then get a short one. You can get those real flimsy ones, but the dogs are pushing them around. So you want to secure them to the wall or secure them to the ground somehow. You can get like those um, command hooks, the hooks that like stick on the wall, put them on, um, on the ground. Heaps cold holds the crate in, but if you have a sturdier one, you don't need to put anything on the ground because it holds itself. It's strong enough. Um, there's some of those flimsy ones as well. When the dog pushes against it, it becomes like a ramp and the dogs have walked out of them as well. So I've seen heaps of different ones. If you're trying to save a hundred bucks or 50 bucks, um, you may, you may get that in, in an undesirable event at home. So just, you know, if you're going to have something that's going to be, you're going to invest in it for like a, over a year of use or maybe even longer, maybe for, for life. So get the best ones, I reckon. Um, with these material crates and pens, if your dog becomes fully um, understands of what it is and it's not scratching and trying to bite out of it, then yeah, you can get one that may look cooler or nicer in your apartment, things like that. But just be be mindful that if you have a puppy chewing like something meshy, you're just going to get destroyed. Enrichment toys. Let's talk about enrichment. What is enrichment? Enrichment is providing the animal a means of expressing themselves naturally for their biological fulfillment. That's my definition. Hope that's hope if you know what that means and, and that's accurate enough. But I, I reckon the best way to explain it is that if you're going to leave the house and you have a puppy, give him something to to play with. A Kong toy, you can get heaps of different in, enrichment toys specifically that have food in them, like puzzles or, you know, a bobolot that they push the the little toy around and spins around like remember those toys that when you're young and you push it over it keeps coming back to balance and they have a hole in it and then the kibble starts to fall out you can put like peanut butter or raw meat or other food inside of a of the traditional kong which is a rubber toy that was is hollow on the inside heaps of different ones as as i said i do like the original ones but yeah you can get creative and now whether your dog has something to do while you're gone for half an hour instead of eating its food within 10 seconds it may take them 20, half an hour for, for them to eat it. So enrichment toys with that. You can also have, you can make your own enrichment toys. 
chuck a couple of ice cream containers out the back there just so they can play around with it. As long as your dogs aren't swallowing any of these inanimate objects and they're fine for them. Sticks in the park, from the park, or, you know, you can get stuffed toys and different toys for your dogs and you can get those ropey toys. Just make sure, as I said, they're not swallowing it and they're not too tough where they're going to like hurt the dog or if they're too hard, like, um, what I mean by that is like a dog's not going to cut themselves really on a toy unless you're giving them something like ridiculous. But, you just don't want them like swallowing those ropey toys is, is what I'm mostly concerned about. So, you know, observe your dogs in their pen, in their exercise pen when they're young and see what their habits are like with different toys. Uh, and just by the way, pe- people, the dogs are supposed to destroy the toys. So don't be freaked out. They're like, I keep giving him toys and he keeps destroying them. You want that. So he doesn't destroy your things at home. That's the point. So when he gets to um, devour the plastic bottle with food in it again if he's not swallowing the plastic but if he's taking the contents out and he's messing around with it and it takes him ages and he loves throwing it or pushing it around and it slides around the place then cool then you that's what enrichment is and the example of enrichment for a lion and you see this at the zoo is they give him those big blue barrels and the, the lion jumps on the back of it and sinks his his claws in and kind of plays with it a little bit and that's representative of when the gazelle or the zebra is running and then they jump on the back and they grab. So your and ways of enrichment for humans are like our exercise and sport because it's what it's mimicking what we would naturally do. There goes my whiteboard with all my notes on it, but there's only one more left and I remember it. So that's cool. Um, is yeah, so you want to f- um, fulfill them naturally, and that's the most important thing. Instead of just leaving them on their own and they destroy the house and they dig the holes and they bark all day long, provide them enrichment, especially from young. As they get older, maybe they don't need it as much, but again, depending on the dog, there's eight-year-old dogs that if you don't give them stuff in the backyard, then you're doomed. Your backyard explodes from dog bite. Dog destroyed everything. So think about that and maybe do a little bit more research. I, I think I want, I want to do an episode specifically on Richmond and go into like full detail about it all. But, um, but yeah, do some research on it and maybe that's the answer to one of your problems with your dog. And the last one's the muzzle. And the muzzle is an essential tool, especially well, for dogs that bite in particular. But I believe that maybe we should do the extra training and teach a dog to wear a muzzle just because he should wear a muzzle um, for something extra to do, extra training, but also maybe one day you'll need it, right? And you may need to put something over his face and you don't want him to be surprised by it. But yeah, of course, you put a muzzle on a dog so the dog doesn't bite anybody or anything. So that muzzle goes on. You don't just chuck a muzzle on a dog, please. This is the number one thing I'm talking about. You want to properly muzzle condition an animal or your dog rather. So you want him to understand that when he sees the muzzle that he wants to put his face into it because something good comes from it. Where if you just shove it on your dog and strap it on and hope for the best, heaps of things can happen. Your dog can try to scratch it off. And I saw a dog not longer. He tried scratching it off so hard that he like started damaging his nails. So um, not ideal at all. Um, they can get very intense about it, especially if they've had success. If you put it on shittily and then your dog then scratches it off and he goes, cool, I can t- take it off by doing that then the harder you tighten it every time, especially if he keeps getting out of it because it's a dodgy brand or you, you've gone the wrong, wrong size or you haven't put it on properly, is that if they learn to keep getting out of it, they'll try harder and harder and harder. And that's what training's all about. But this is working against you. Um, the dog will then continue rubbing his face on it. Then he's more stressed. He, and then from that stress means that you've got the muzzle on. Hopefully, you're trying to train him. And if he's in that wrong state of mind while you're trying to train him, then you're not really getting anywhere. So... Or you may be successful once you whack it on him and that was great. The second time, good luck. You have to chase him, try to put it on. And if it's a dog that bites, you probably bite you. So 
to muzzle condition, I'm going to go through it very quickly. But basically, you have the muzzle upside down in front of your dog's face. You put food in, um, at the end of it. Your dog puts his nose into it. You give the marker. You reward him. And that way there he learns that every time he shoves his face into the, the muzzle, it produces a treat. And then over time, we increase duration of how long his nose has to be inside the muzzle for. And then hopefully get to a point where we put it in front of his face. He puts his face into it. And then he can have it there long enough for me to clip it on the back. And then I would unclip it, reward him, then do that process until he gets to a point where he puts it on. He's like, what are we going to do now? Where's the rest of my food? And then over time, you put it on him and he's like, it's just another thing. It may take a couple of weeks to get a really good condition response before you start to use it for training. So then that's your priority of training in that time. When I was younger, you know, I've been doing Nutris Purchase for like almost the last nine years now. And even before that, you know, kennels and shelters and stuff is that, I was, I never used the muzzle. I was too egotistical, possibly, or maybe I was very brave, you know, whatever, stupid is probably a better word for it. And that I would get bitten. I get bitten so freaking often, it was stupid. Um, now, that was a problem in, in itself. And that was my learning curve in terms of how to approach dogs and how to use dogs. No, not that I was getting bitten every week or anything, but a lot of the times it could have been prevented if I used a freaking muzzle. Um, and I've been bitten a couple of years ago. It was like the last time I was a significant bite was on my finger and sent me to hospital and had to take cartilage out of my finger. They removed my fingernail. Um, and then I ended up getting infection in the finger, which could have been really bad. So I was in hospital for like four days on antibiotics and after the surgery. So if, and that dog, we knew it was a problem. And I put myself in, in the firing line um, and handling the dog maybe too early. Or if he had a muzzle on, he would have attempted to bite me and I wouldn't have had to stop the session. So it was a disaster. It didn't work very well or it didn't end up very desirable. And according to the training, it, it wasn't beneficial. So basically, if I had l- learnt the importance of using a muzzle early on, I would have 100%. Um, done so. So, since so from now on, there's dogs that are questionable. I'd rather not get bitten. I got more to lose these days than I was back then. And I don't want to go to hospital again. So, the dog taught me a very valuable lesson there on many levels. But that muzzle. So, there's a dog that I'm seeing, Cattle Dog Cross. He's a little bit dodgy. Um, and he's not, he's good with me. I've handled him on the lead, but I feel he's the dog that gets so super aroused because he would definitely bite a dog. Now, I'm seeing him actually maybe tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll see how that goes, um, or maybe next week. But I'm going to see him soon, and it's been about a month. And um, every time I've seen him, there has been massive improvement. So, but my point is, if I'm with him and I feel that he's going to lunge and then try to bite my dog, for example, I feel out of frustration he'll redirect and bite me. I just have a feeling. I think he's actually done it to his owner. She was walking down the street. He got super jacked up. The bike went past or a dog went past, and then she's obviously holding the lead. And this is before we started training, so whether it was on a harness or whatever, we, but the dog got so frustrated, redirected, boom, and then bit her. So um, really dodgy, not great. So I'm, I'm gonna, I told them we're not doing any f- closer socialization. So my dog was probably like 10 meters away, and I'm like, we're not going any closer um, until he's properly wearing a muzzle. So she's been sending me videos, and he's been actually, she said he walks better and more relaxed on the walk with the muzzle on strange awesome whatever but she conditioned it for like three or four weeks before she started walking and training with it so that muzzle is now a neutral thing you show it to him he shows his face into it just like it's a collar if you put a collar on a dog way too early let's say it's a three-year-old dog never worn a collar you whack the collar on then you take him for a big walk and make him have a big freak out next time you show him that collar will it be excited probably not maybe the walk wasn't as exciting as he thought 
But if we condition them properly, which most dogs do get conditioned properly to wear a collar, for example, or a harness for that matter, and the dog now associates when they see these items, they get excited. So if you can do it properly, and I may, I'm very long-winded about the muzzle, but if you're not sure about it, if you're on the fence and your dog has bitten or he's going to bite someone, get that muzzle on that dog and teach him how to do it properly. I'm sure there's heaps of videos out there. Maybe one day I'll do one as well. Um, now, I'm conflicted at the moment, actually, about using muzzles, and I don't, and I would, and if anyone's listening that has a little bit more info to, to hit me up and, and educate me further, then I'll, I'll be very grateful. But I've been using Baskerville muzzle with the dogs, and I haven't had any issues. Um, I haven't had anyone get bitten or anything like that. I heard somewhere down the grapevine that muzzles are not bite proof and i'm like what the fuck does that mean then i thought a muzzle was just to, to, why design a muzzle that a dog can still bite somebody with that just makes no sense to me so anyway baskerville muzzle has been good the reason why i like it is a dog can fully open his mouth he can eat food he can drink water he can pant not everyday normal stuff and every time to be honest i haven't really had a muzzle on then let the dog just go and go and attack things anyway but there has been close calls with the muzzle and there's only been muzzle budding i haven't seen any dramas so do a little bit more research. Hit me up if you know a little bit more about, you know, I'm sure there's like this custom made muzzles that you can get specifically for your dog. That would probably be the best. And I'm sure, I'm sure like the wiry baskets are I think the best, um, like a full wire ba- metal basket that goes over the dog's face so the dog can fully open its mouth and be completely normal um, and is strong enough that it can't. I'm assuming maybe the rubber ones is that, let's just say the leads are t- detached and the dog's and gone fully attacked something and then push its face and maybe we're talking about the rubber going into the dog's mouth, which means that it can still commit and bite. I'm not sure. Um, but that's that about the muzzle. Um, yeah, so I hope you guys have enjoyed another episode of Life With Your Dog. Hit us up with any questions, any Q&As that need to get out there. I've got a bit more of a list to go through, but please, um, we've been getting some private messages about similar questions. So put it out there for us. I'd really look forward to that. Um, you know, hit, hit us up a, a review somewhere, iTunes or Apple Apple um, Apple Podcasts is what it's called now, um, on Facebook, whatever. But we'd love to hear from you guys. And until then, you guys keep training your dogs, have fun, and have a great day next time on Life With Your Dog podcast. Our clients in this time have been fucking amazing. Like, they've sent food to us. They've sent, like, macaroons. They've, like, they've bought memberships for dogs that haven't been born yet, you know? Yeah, wow. Like, it's just, it's like they've, they've continued to pay membership because we've got, the way that our uh, structure is is, we have a pay-as-you-go where you just pay on the day or you can sign up for a membership and we've got a 12-month membership or a lifetime of your dog membership, right? So, they're the sort of three options that we have. <clears throat> People are paying for memberships when they can't train. Like, we mm. haven't trained since March and I'm yeah. like, hey, do you guys want to put this on hold? And they're like, no, nah, we're good. Like, we'll just nice. keep paying. Like, I'm That's working. Awesome. Like, it's just... That's a good testament to you guys, man, and yeah. where your heart and soul is at. It's your faith in people, eh? Yeah, and it, like it really, like it's really touching. It's it's very, it's very humbling. But um, but it's also a testament to your I, I the community why. that you've built and the yeah. work that you've done. You know that wouldn't just happen exactly. like overnight. Mm.